Coming from the McDowell Heating and Air Studio, welcome to the True Crime Mamas podcast. We are a not-for-profit organization dedicated to shedding light on the many tragic homicide and missing person cases across North Carolina. We strive to honor victims and their loved ones by honestly and non-sensationally sharing their stories. Happy Halloween, True Crime Mamas. We are going to give you a treat for this episode. We decided we were going to come together and give you some of our favorite Halloween stories, I suppose. Um, In case you didn't know, this is Amber and this is Heidi. She's with me. Hey, everybody. Um, I'm going to be telling her a a nice little ghost story from uh, Western North Carolina. Do you know much from Western North Carolina? I'm still a newbie. Cool. I don't really... (laughs) know much about North Carolina yet, so I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, the mountain area definitely has their fair share of ghost stories. And you grew up in the mountains, right? I did, I and did, I, so I do know most of them. <laughs> and I still say mount, mountain, like a Utah, I don't say mountain. It's okay. Like a normal person. It's but, totally, it's totally yep. fine. No, it's, it's okay. <laughs> um, well, the story that I'm going to tell you today is an oldie but a goodie from my neck of the woods. Um, <clears throat> if you are from the area... Of the state, you have definitely heard of this place, um, and quite possibly the story, I'm not sure, but um, most people have heard of this place. It is it is well-known throughout the country, mm-hmm. and I would assume internationally as well. <laughs> um, it's famous for numerous reasons, and I want to tell you one of them today. I'm going to tell you about the Pink Lady of the Grove Park Inn. Ooh. Yeah. Um, let's give you a little backstory on the Grove Park Inn, since you're not... Yeah. From here, you might not have ever heard mm-hmm. of the place. Um, the Grove Park Inn was built in 1913 in Asheville, North Carolina, by a man named Edwin Wiley Grove. Um, Edwin made his fortune selling Grove's tasteless chili tonic. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> so gross. When I was doing the research, I was like, what in the world <laughs> is this? Um, so I had to research this to see what it was. Um, this tonic was used to treat and prevent malaria. They seriously in yeah. the 1900s they had the weirdest cure for things. They really did, and but it was a huge hit. Okay. He sold a ton of it in the southern states of the U.S., where apparently at this point in time malaria was prevalent. I didn't know that. Scary. Yeah, I didn't know that malaria was such an issue not too terribly long ago <laughs> yeah. in in the U.S. So, um, but he ended up in Asheville. Uh, by doctor's orders, and I couldn't really figure out why, but there were a lot of health-based businesses in Asheville at that Mm -hmm. time, so maybe that's why. I don't know. I feel like lots of people, I don't know if malaria is a lung issue, but lots of people with lung issues went to the mountains. The air? Yeah. Yeah. It's for the air. The air is notoriously cleaner, Uh I guess cleaner, fresher, I don't know, Like you always hear the the stories with consumption, Mm -hmm. and they sent them to, like, thinner air to get better. Yes. Yes, I've heard that, too. Yeah. So I'm going to assume that's why he was up there, Um, but he loved the town so much that he just decided to stay. And seeing all the health-related businesses that were popping up at that time, he and his son-in-law started construction on the inn. He built it to rival all the fancy posh hotels in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and one cool fact, it has remained in business since then. Have it, you seen it? I have. I've been oh, there. Yeah. Cool. Um, side note, my high school, we had our junior prom there. 
How close were you to Asheville growing up? Um, About an hour. Oh. Yeah, that's where we would always go for movies and stuff like that mm-hmm. because the town area that I grew up in, we didn't have that kind of thing <laughs> um, around. So you always had to go to Asheville or Johnson City, Tennessee to get oh. any sort of shopping. Okay. Or, yeah. So, but we had our, um, my, I think it was my junior prom there at the Grove Park. Oh, so fun. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, it's a beautiful place. Um, and it has a world-class spa on site. Like, Ooh. people come for the Grove Park Spa. Cool. Yeah. I, I want to go for the Grove Park Spa. That's <laughs> That would be really cool. So, the Pink Lady story is a well-loved ghost story. And she's a well-loved ghost of the establishment as well. Um, for almost 100 years. She's oh, wow. been She's been known for quite some time. She is said to be the ghost of a young woman who fell to her death from a balcony on the fifth floor. Um, no one knows for sure her backstory. Some have said that she was meeting her married lover there and jumped Whoa. when he ended the affair. You know, that old horse and cart. Um, <laughs> and then some said she may have slipped in an accident and fell. Okay. So there's there's def- several different, you know, Always. stories, you know, what happened because no one really knows. Um, she seems to be really attached to room 545. Um, and according to history and tradition, that's the balcony she fell from. Okay. So that would make sense to why mm-hmm. she's on that. Um, she likes to play pranks. She's a friendly ghost, I think. <laughs> she likes to play pranks. There's been reports um, of her turning on lights, AC, on and off, all your electronics. Mm-hmm. You know, she likes to play with that kind of thing. So um, she also likes to rearrange ob- objects in your room. So if you leave and you come back and your stuff's not where you thought it was, it may have been her. Oh, that's kind of creepy. Yeah, there's even some stories of her waking guests up with good-natured foot tickling. Oh, I wouldn't like that. Mm-mm. That would scare the ever-living crap out of me. <laughs> yeah. But it's cute if you think about it not happening to you. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that yet again, that would scare me to death. But it's it's cute. It's a friendly little, you know. At least she's not, like, terrorizing people. Exactly. She's not an angry ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, she seems to have a maternal side to her as well. She seems to prefer the company of children. And Aww. she's more than likely to show herself to when children. kids are around. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I thought that was interesting. Um, she's been reported to sort of take care of the children that are sick at the end. Um, she'll stroke their hair and whisper nice things and you know, like sweet, I mean, calming things. I get it, but that would still scare yeah. the ever-living crap <laughs> out of me. There's a little part of me that wants to take my children there yeah. just to see if they like see something I don't. Same. Yeah. Same. I thought about that as well. I'd be like, I'll take my two children and sit them in a hallway and just be like, let me know if you see anything. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But all the employees in the inn are used to her and they treat her like she's part of the family. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's like on the payroll. Yeah. Pretty much. Like, I mean, she draws in people that come, you know, like the ghost story stuff. So they they come to see if they can spot the pink lady. Um, But if you ever get a chance to visit the Grove Park Inn in Asheville uh, and see it, let them know. That you want to catch a glimpse of the pink lady. So do they see her like as like a floating apparition or how is she? Yeah, she's usually when the people that have seen her have reported it. It's this like misty woman in a pink dress. Like they can tell the dress is pink and Mm -hmm. she has like this pink hue around her. So I don't know. I didn't see her when I went to prom. I was probably (laughs) too busy. It's fine. But yeah, a lot of people have reported seeing her so all right well on to the next creepy story yeah
Hey everybody, um, this is Christina, and we're going to continue with some Halloween stories, and I have one that is near and dear to my heart. So when I was 10, I had the opportunity to spend a couple weeks with my grandmother all by myself. So at the time, she was here in North Carolina, and I had the pleasure of living in Minot, North Dakota. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not exactly anywhere that anyone would want to be. Not an actual pleasure. Not a pleasure. (laughs) And so um, as a 10-year-old, I had these huge plans. And they were 10-year-old plans. My grandmother lived in a condominium complex, and there was a swimming pool with a diving board. So it was going to be swimming all day, every day. And we might go to a movie or two or get some ice cream, but... I would have been thrilled if I just could spend every day at the pool. And my grandmother, thankfully, had different plans. She actually thought maybe I could use a little bit of culture, you know, maybe <laughs> living up in North Dakota. So um, one morning, um, shortly after breakfast, um, she told me we we're going on a road trip to the mountains. And I was super excited because when we had gone to the mountains, it was always either going through and we're on our way to my grandmother's house, or it was the beginning of this crazy long journey back to North Dakota, mm-hmm. because we were in the military we couldn't afford to fly. So it was a five day road trip. So there was no time for stopping in the mountains because we knew it mm-hmm. either was ahead or we were done with traveling. So she said um, that we we're going to go to the mountains and I just couldn't believe that I was going to get to go. I mean, that in itself <laughs> was a lot. So my grandmother and I had a special bond for as long as I can remember. She said that the first time she met me that we locked eyes and she Aww. just immediately knew. Oh, that's sweet. It was always really, um, I, I can't bring words to mm-hmm. the relationship that we had. It was just something like I've never had before ever since. And she used to always tell me that I was an old soul And even though she was a devout Methodist, she was in church Mm -hmm. every single Sunday. um, She said she believed in reincarnation, (laughs) which kind of goes against um, probably what Methodist ideology is. But she was a pretty firm believer. I love that. Yeah. um, And she said that in a past life, she firmly believed that I lived in the 1920s. Okay. Yeah. And honestly, um, I don't know if reincarnation is a thing. I mean, you hear a lot of stories where yeah. people talk a lot about it, but I have always been so drawn to things of that era. I mean, there's so many cool things that were going on. It was kind of the start of the women's liberation mm-hmm. movement. Um, you have prohibition, but all the crime associated with prohibition, <laughs> the jazz music and how Women could wear pants. Yeah, women wearing pants. Yeah. Um, haircuts. Like, you weren't putting your hair up in crazy buttons mm-hmm. anymore. I mean, I, I love it. But then also um, being in my um, full-time job and a job where I do product development, the Art Deco period is quite possibly one of my favorite periods. Yes. Not necessarily my style. but no, it's beautiful. It's so intricate. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the craftsmanship, I mean, there wasn't a lot of mass production then. I mean... There's just something about the 1920s. So when we got to Asheville, we turned onto this road and there was just like, I don't know how to describe it, but it reminds me of when I went to England, it was kind of like a guardhouse type of thing. It was kind of this guardhouse in a parking lot and we walked up and we got tickets, but 
I don't really know, or I didn't know at the time what the tickets were for. My grandmother said, okay, let's go back to the car. And I'm like, okay. So yeah. we then start on this trip down this long, windy road. And think about, like, if you could imagine what a fairy tale would look like, that's what you saw. So there are these um, ponds that had waterfalls going down into them. And, you know, living in North Dakota, no ponds, no waterfalls. <laughs> it was just so beautiful. And the um, foliage and the flowers. And then every once in a while, there were these little statues. I mean, it's like someone had meticulously planned every single detail mm-hmm. of this beautiful place. Then... As we start going down the road, we notice in the distance that there is this incredible structure, which I found out was someone's house at one point. And it looks like a castle. I mean, you feel like you're in a fairy tale already. And Mm -hmm. then you see this house that is just so beautiful and so, so stunning. And that was my first experience with this place called Biltmore Estate. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, it is quite possibly one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. I've only been to like the front gates and it's breathtaking. It definitely is. It's so worth um, going if anyone ever has the opportunity to. And according to the 2021 guide to Biltmore Estate, they say that Biltmore House is the largest privately owned home in the United States. The house is a chateau-esque style mansion. Mm-hmm. It's a mansion. I know. I don't know yeah. what chateau, chateau, chateau esque <laughs> is, but it's beautiful. And it actually took um, quite a bit of time to build six years. So yeah. um, there was a guy uh, by the name of George Washington Vanderbilt II. And his family actually um, hailed from New York. Um, they were a very wealthy family. That's like a combo of the George Washington and the Biltmores. That's a pretty big a pretty big name yeah i don't really know if maybe he was distantly related Mm -hmm. to george washington or his parents are like hey you're gonna have a badass name we're gonna name (laughs) you george washington vanderbilt ii but um that was his name and um he formally opened the home to his friends on christmas eve of 1895 the house has over 178,000 square feet wow I would hate to be the person who had to be responsible for cleaning that. Yeah, I'm sure there were 10 people responsible <laughs> At least. for doing that. And then it had 250 rooms, 42 bathrooms, 65 fireplaces, and three kitchens. I mean, wow. one simply could not be enough. And in its day and age, it was super advanced. It had electric elevators, or I guess I should say it has yeah. electric elevators, central heating, centrally controlled clocks. It had fire alarms, a call bell system, an indoor pool, bowling alley, and really progressive for its time a workout center. Wow. For the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Wow. Very progressive. So, um, he was actually the grandson of an industrialist and philanthropist named Cornelius Vanderbilt. And so he went to North Carolina or the Blue Ridge Mountains in 1887, and he fell in love with the area. One really cool thing um, that I found out about him where his, the rest of his family was very much into industry. He was into nature and uh, they called it husbandry and he really cared. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, he, he really loved um, 
giving back to the land. And in fact, he was able to get this entire community of Asheville to completely fall in love with him and his family. I mean, they were such great people and they were so good to this land that he purchased. So what ended up happening is he went on a second trip the next year in 1888 and he visited with his mother and he began purchasing land for what he would call his country home. (laughs) You know, it's, you know, my almost... 180 square foot house yeah. my country it's home. It's just a half, half time house. Yeah, you know, just every once in a while we'll go to the country. <laughs> so he began um, construction, um, as we had said, in 1889, and it ended up being the largest undertaking in residential architecture. So nothing still has beat it. And when it was completed in 1895, um, as we talked about, he opened it up to friends and family on Christmas. And then in 1898, he got married to a woman by the name of Edith Stuyvesant Dresser. And of course, they honeymoon in Italy, because what <laughs> yes. else do you do? And then they returned and actually it was not a country house. It ended up being where they lived full time. They moved to Biltmore. So it's a good call on his part. <laughs> yeah, in one of the, what, like 50-something bathrooms? I know. I mean, I guess they could, like, say, okay, this week we're going to live in this week. Yeah. I mean, it would take you, gosh, almost an entire year to sleep in every bedroom. Mm-hmm. Wow. I can't even imagine anything like that. It sounds so decadent. Mm-hmm. So on August 22nd, 1900, Edith gave birth to their first and only child, and her name was Cornelia. Oh, I just think that's such a sweet name. What a cool year to be born. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's like she can be that person. I don't know if your kids have ever said this, but talking about the olden days mm-hmm. and when you find out they're talking about the 1980s and mm-hmm. 90s. Mm-hmm. So she probably yeah. did that to her parents, you know, in <laughs> yeah. the olden days. And hopefully they were just as annoyed as we are. Yeah. So, um, what happened, though, just a few years later in 1914, as George um, tragically passed away, mm-hmm. he had an emergency appendectomy, and then he he was only 51, um, but he died of complications after that. So surgery just wasn't mm-hmm. as advanced as it is today. What would be such a simple procedure ended up ending his life. So one of his final requests is the land on the property remain untouched. So Edith, his wife, fulfilled that request and made sure that nothing happened to the land. And up until the Great Depression, the house was used only as a private residence by the family. But because of the Depression, they had to do something to keep everything afloat. So Cornelia decided to open Biltmore to the public. Mm-hmm. And I hate the depression happened, but I'm so glad that this treasure can be yeah. shared with everybody. So descendants of the Vanderbilt family continued to maintain the home and the family stopped living in the mansion in the 1950s. And then Biltmore became a historical landmark in 1963. So fast forward to today, Biltmore sees about a million people a year. Oh, wow. I know. I would have never thought that a million people hit Asheville, but what a great boost for that economy, Mm -hmm. too. And the thing, because you're probably wondering, why is she giving us all this history? But I love history, so (laughs) sorry, everyone. But the reason I'm talking about Biltmore is because there are so many stories of visitors encountering strange activity. And I've collected a few of my favorite stories. I've actually, Amber told me one today that I didn't come across. So mm-hmm. super excited to share um, some of the stories about 
um, this wonderful house. So um, George Vanderbilt loved his home and his favorite room by far was the library. Um, he was what people called a bibliophile. I mean, he loved books. I can totally relate. He actually had a diary that he kept record of every single book that he read. And between 1875 and 1914, he read an average of 81 books a year. Oh, wow. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, Amber and I uh-huh. totally relate because we mom read all like the time. Too. But yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I do not have the discipline there to write everything down. I swear <laughs> I'll open my Kindle and I'm like, you, it's 100%. Like, I don't even remember reading this. So uh-huh. I need to be better. I need to be more like George. Um, so what they believe is George Spirit may be in the library sitting yeah. and reading one of those books. That's where he spent most of his time. That's where he was happiest. And right after he died, Edith began spending much of her time in the library. And she would just sit there and she started having conversations and they were directed towards George. Mm-hmm. And Initially, everyone was like, oh, you know, she's grieving and she's just trying to process this. And everyone thought she would just move on from it. She never did. And the exact opposite happened. She continued her daily conversations in the (laughs) library. I mean, it was just this thing that she was doing. And it's funny because they also say either spirit is at Biltmore. And people say if they listen really closely, they can hear a woman's voice whispering, George, mm-hmm. over and over in the hallways. And it's believed that Edith is searching for her husband. And there are also reports of both Edith and George hanging out and talking in the library. Oh, that's sweet. I it's hope really they found sweet. each other. I really hope that I never hear Edith whispering, George, (laughs) Um, I don't think I would come back. So in addition to the spirits of Edith and George, there are reports of spirits going up and down the steps and people um, have witnessed or experienced strange smells cold spots and even eerie feelings on the staircase and at night when the grounds are only patrolled by grounds workers there are sounds of lively activity there have been sounds of laughter glasses clinking and the buzz of jovial chatter and my favorite creepy story actually happens in the garden and some people talk about this cat that is roaming through the garden (laughs) (laughs) and um there's just something unique about him. He doesn't have a head. Oh, right, right, right. Um, and they don't know um, if he was a cat that was owned by the Vanderbilts or just some stray garden cat. But there's this headless cat that just roams the grounds of Biltmore Estate. And then um, Amber was so surprised I did not have this in my story, but I did not come across it in research and had to dig for it. But another story, and this is by far the creepiest one, happens at this indoor pool, which... Oh, I, I saw this. Oh, you saw this? Yeah. I mean, this... I mean, I didn't look too much into it, but... <sighs> yeah. So the swimming pool hasn't been used for years. So it's yeah. totally drained. There is no one like who can go swimming. Like a basement indoor pool. Yeah, basement yeah. indoor pool. But workers and visitors have reported hearing splashing sounds coming from the pool, especially Ugh. at night. No water. Children splashing sounds, probably. Yeah, probably so. And then Amber says she was forever changed by an Unsolved Mysteries episode. I don't know. Did you ever watch that when you were yeah. growing up, yeah. Robert Stack? Well, she said the culmination of his voice mm-hmm. and then the footprint 
water footprints with nobody walking changed her life forever. And you know what? That's why she's a true crime mama. Yeah, that's probably what caused it. That's why she's a true crime mama. So this is the worst part. There are reports of what they call diabolical laughter coming from the drain in the bottom of the pool. That's like it. I know. Oh, that's yucky. I mean, what lives down there? Oh, And also, in addition to this diabolical laughter, there is an apparition of a lady in black who apparently is also connected to it. So in my head, I can imagine that I'm at this pool for some reason, walking around, and all of a sudden I hear this like, Mwahaha, and this lady, <laughs> and I, I, I would be dead. I mean, there would be yeah. no coming home yeah. from Biltmore. Just like a pile of pee left behind. Yeah, yeah. that's about it. I was just... <laughs> <laughs> So I can't say whether or not Biltmore is haunted. And oh, so it's haunted. You think for so? Sure. Yeah, anything in the 1800s is haunted. Okay, good rule. Good rule yeah. of thumb. But since my first visit when I was 10, I've gone to Biltmore multiple times. And fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look yeah. at it, I haven't witnessed anything or felt anything. I mean, the only feelings I've ever had at Biltmore is just complete awe. Yeah. Um, if I witness anything, um, I promise everyone y'all be the first to know because I'm sure everyone um, in True Crime Mamas will tell the story. I am super excited though, and we do are we are going to Biltmore in November to experience Biltmore at Christmas, and I promise I'm going to pay special attention yes. at the staircase, yes. in the library. I don't yeah. know about the pool, but I need like the recording equipment <laughs> to pick up the voices that like humans don't hear. We just need to carry that around like Ghostbuster <sighs> style, just carry around the equipment. So if anyone has equipment that we can borrow, we're EB- EPP, is that what it's called? I don't know, but we, yeah, we need the stuff. We need it, yeah. So if you know anyone that we can borrow it from or even pay, <laughs> um, hey, yeah. we'll hit you up. Yeah. So um, until then, happy Halloween, true crime mamas and friends. Yeah. We'll see you soon. True Crime Mamas podcast is a production of TCM Productions. Theme music created by the talented Brian Anderson. Cover art created by design extraordinaire Marley Soden. Studio sponsored by McDowell Heating and Air. Keep your home comfortable all year with McDowell Heating and Air. True Crime Mamas podcast is property of True Crime Mamas LLC. Support True Crime Mamas by following us on Instagram and Facebook and check out our website at truecrimemamaspodcast.com for sources and more.